Would you buy a four-week treasury bill yielding exactly 0% return? Zilt, nothing, nada. Would you buy an eight-week treasury bill that yielded the same zero return? And because of how treasury bills work, which means they don't have a, a coupon, they don't pay an interest rate, you buy them at a discount and get back your full, the full face value at maturity, that would mean that you're buying a treasury bill at full price today, and either four or eight weeks later, the government's gonna give you back the same money that you gave the government? Why would anyone do that? Well, we're gonna answer that question because it just happened. It happened today at both four and eight week treasury bill auctions. That's a pretty concerning sign especially since the opportunity cost of holding a treasury bill yielding you nothing isn't like it used to be. There were times in say 2011, early part of that year, when treasury bills actually did yield 0% return. But the opportunity cost wasn't much because money market rates at that time were exceptionally low. They were near zero, not zero, but near zero. The reverse repo at the time was zero. So you could make the argument that it wasn't a big deal back then, though it was for the same reasons. But today, the reverse repo is currently 455, 4%, 4.5%, 4 4.55%, however you want to say it. And I can say these things. So accepting a 0% return on something where, why would you do, why would you give the government a zero interest loan when you could just relend those funds in repo for example and get 450 something that way in a very safe return if you can't get to the federal reserve's reverse repo window which is going to give you 455 it doesn't seem to make any sense except when you put it into context like one researcher did one of the very very few researchers who did way back in 2017, working, from the Saint, working for the St. Louis Federal Reserve branch. He says, indeed, such a swap may have negative effects. Swap, he actually means quantitative easing, which stills good collateral of the marketplace, as reserves may be inferior assets to treasury bills. For what reasons are reserves inferior to T-bills? Basically, reserves can be held only by a restricted set of financial institutions, while T-bills are more widely held and are useful as collateral in financial transactions, example, repurchase agreements, also derivatives, in ways that reserves are not. Why are we talking 0% Treasury bill auction results from the federal, not from the federal reserve, from the federal government when everything is supposedly fine? The big banks came in and offered a bailout to First, First Republic. The Federal Reserve has come up with an enormous rescue. It says this is the best one yet, a new four-letter program. Janet Yellen continues to tell Congress everything is fine. The banking system is resilient. Why are Treasury bills in such demand? Take it from the guy from the Federal Reserve. T-bills are more widely held and useful as collateral in financial transactions. And the price of that collateral has gone so high Lots of people have bid at auctions to obtain it so that at 0% return for themselves. That's how high the value of the best quality collateral has skyrocketed. And that's today, not last week, not even Monday. We've been talking about collateral runs all week, and it's still ongoing.
there is still massive demand for the best quality collateral. We need to pay attention to these things because this thing, the very thing that markets have been warning you about, is not over. But what is that thing? Well, that's what we're going to get into today. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. If you're interested, this thing, collateral things, curve things, that's exactly the kind of stuff that I write about in our research subscriptions and exactly the kind of stuff that we talk about and go over in our exclusive video and member contents at the Eurodollar University membership site. So daily research either in a daily briefing about the macroeconomic developments as well as the market and curve changes that are important each and every day, deep dive analysis where we go into collateral, we understand what's going on, securities lending, transformation, the uselessness of bank reserves, thank you Mr. St. Louis Fed, and Eurodollar University memberships where we get into the background behind all of this stuff to try to understand what the monetary system actually does, how it does it, and what happens when it doesn't do it. All the information available, eurodollar.university. So we've got a lot of stuff still going on, even now, Friday, March 17th, even though SVP, SVB and Signature were over, a, well, yeah, a little bit over a week ago now. We've had the announcements, the events, we've had government come in, we've had the big banks come in. What did the big banks do? It was a group of institutions that agreed to a $30 billion deposit infusion into First Republic. And it was all the biggest banks that you, that you could imagine, the biggest names on Wall Street. We've got Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Citigroup, JP Morgan Chase, each contributing or promising to contribute $5 billion each. Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley will deposit two and a half billion each. And then we've got Truist, PNC, U.S. Bank Corp, State Street, Bank of New York Mellon, all putting in one billion dollars each. And like the Federal Reserve's actual, the actual intent of the Federal Reserve's program, this is meant not as a real liquidity solution so much as a show of force. To say, to inspire confidence I mean, to the wider marketplace that this troubled institution isn't as troubled as you believe it is. Stop pulling your money out because we're going to put our money where your mouth should be. The government, the big banks, they're all trying to calm down a situation that people can't seem to put their finger on. Why isn't it a calm situation? What is going on with First Republic or what did happen? at Silicon Valley Bank, and what does it have to do with 0% returns on Treasury bills? Well, the first thing is that this isn't about First Republic. This isn't about Silicon Valley Bank. Why are those firms in the situation that they're in to begin with? As it stands, Silicon or First Republic shares today are being wiped out. They're down 30% on top of bigger declines up until now. This is after the big banks came in and said, we've got $30 billion in deposits for First Republic Bank. And the market says, that doesn't look like it's going to be nearly enough. And not just for, for First Republic, because this is much bigger. This is exactly what the markets have been warning you about all this time, especially November and December. We had major inversions 
back in the middle of last year, which already said the probability of something going wrong was getting too high. But in November and in December, the curves went absolutely nuclear, which said the probability of something bad happening was going to be huge. Now, what bad had happened up until the that part of last year had a lot to do with exactly what we're going to talk about here, collateral. Now, how does that work in the context of, say, Silicon Valley Bank or First Republic? But these regional banks, they largely have most of their asset portfolio is in illiquid loans. That's, that's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. That's banking from way back in the beginning of banking. They're not supposed to have liquid stuff. That was the securities dealers that got into trouble 15 years ago. They have traditional bank loans, basically the entire, the, the majority of their asset, asset book. But there's also considerations you have to make on the liability side, funding. Even banks that are funded mostly by deposits also have exposure to wholesale. In this case, that's not a bad thing because assuming you have more of a deposit drain than you were anticipating, you want to be able to go into the repo market in order to make up any short-term funding shortfall. So more customers come to your bank and use their funds, either withdrawing them and transferring them someplace else, or just paying, paying their bills, buying stuff through China so that money gets transferred from you to somewhere else in the monetary system. More than you were anticipating, which leaves you shorter and shorter of funds, shorter and shorter of a cash margin or a safety margin on the liability side of their ba your balance sheet. What do you do? Well, you borrow the funds from somebody who has a surplus. That's really where these wholesale markets originally developed. They developed as a way to redistribute excess funds from those who have excess funds to those who are deficient yet still viable. So the repo market existed in its first way back when as one way to do this and to one way to do it in a very safe way because you're putting up financial collateral, liquid collateral, at least that's what you appear to be putting up in order to secure this short-term funding, to make up this deposit drain that you're experiencing, to rebuild your cash position and your liquidity position. But as I said, most of these regional, these regional banks, these smaller banks, don't have huge portfolios of otherwise idle securities, like securities firms do when they're warehousing securities through the regular course of their business. So instead, what you could do is you could take a a chunk of those illiquid loans that are on your balance sheet and then put them together and promise them as collateral to another bank, a dealer bank, who would then lend it to you, U.S. treasuries or some other liquid form of asset that could be then used in the wholesale marketplaces like repo to do what you needed to do. So you could essentially liquefy a huge chunk, a big chunk of your otherwise idle, illiquid mortgage, uh, not mortgage, but loaned portfolio and use other people's treasuries in these wholesale markets to then manage your, your liquid liabilities, to manage your cash flow, to manage, to borrow as much funds as you need in order to remain out, out, of, the, out of the news media, essentially. So the question here isn't why Silicon Valley Bank or First Republic are necessarily experiencing deposit withdrawals. It's why they haven't been able to 
step up and secure and, and obtain the funding that they need from secured markets in order to make up for it, to to rebuild their cash position to make sure that they stay a viable institution the bigger question is why this is again beyond just silicon valley bank just be, beyond first republic why we know why cash has migrated outside the smaller regional banks up into the larger firms what we're trying to figure out in both micro and macro scales is why the bigger banks that have the cash and have access to those who have cash are not redistributing it back to the smaller banks. Now, there could be idiosyncrasies here. Uh, dealer banks could look at Silicon Valley Bank and say, well, this is just a horrible bank. It's, it's run by idiots. There's no reason to do that. But again, Silicon Valley Bank could say, well, we may be dumb. We may not know what we're doing. But we do have assets to post. We have these liquid loans or these illiquid loans, excuse me, that we can then use to transform, to borrow some treasury securities from you to then continue our business because then it doesn't really matter. But here's the thing. The dealer that is willing to engage in that securities lending transaction also takes on a little bit of risk. You're taking on illiquid loans as collateral for liquid collateral that you're lending out to somebody else. And those illiquid loans might not look so good, especially when marketplaces tend to turn more and more illiquid themselves. So it may be that there's a systemic issue with liquidity, which is forcing dealer banks to step back and say, I don't want to engage in these transformation transactions. I don't want to take your illiquid loans as collateral. Or if, if I'm going to, I'm going to take them at such onerous terms it's such a huge haircut that it doesn't make it worth your while even to stay in business so there are systemic issues here and as liquidity in the system begins to drop further and further it leads to these second and third order effects self-reinforcing processes whereas dealers become more risk averse not only are they denying funding or opportunities to maintain funding from these regional and smaller banks we also have marketplaces get more and more illiquid. So you can't transform your illiquid lending portfolio into something that's usable in the repo market, even if it's a two or three step process in addition, which means you're left with no other options. But as you're left with no other options, not everybody is left in the same position. So essentially what you end up having is a massive scramble for good quality collateral at the same time, other firms that are forced into this illiquid situation are looking for any, time, any kind of funding that they can find, including, as we learned yesterday, the Federal Reserve's discount window or primary credit. Now, I had talked about the primary credit uh, about a little bit over a week ago. There's several issues here with, with the primary credit window and its usage, but either way, what we got to in the latest data that was again just released yesterday was 85 billion drawn from the fed's primary credit or ways to be called the discount window and 85 billion that's more than we ever saw in 2020 85 billion is up there with late september and early october 2008. so yet another 2008 comparison that we're making in monetary funding what we do know is that there's more going on here than just a couple regional banks that have made dumb decisions. 
that have made regrettable decisions and have got themselves into trouble. There are systemic issues here only beginning with collateral. Again, as I said before, and I've said on previous videos, and I'm going to continue to say, the, the indications of collateral runs and insufficiency have just been off the charts all week. We had a huge collateral run on Monday, which made sense given the events there, but we had a scramble for collateral on Tuesday. And then Wednesday, not even in the early morning, but during the middle of the U.S. trading day, the four-week bill rate dropped by more than 60 basis points. An absolutely epic, historic run on collateral during that day, which was also the same day we saw massive moves, massive swings, flight, for, flight to safety, if you want to call it that, in all the marketplaces. But then today, now there was the four and eight week treasury bill auction. There was apparently some glitch at the US Treasury Department, something to do with taps. Don't need to get into it here. I doubt it had any effect, but I'm just putting that out there because the, the four, and eight, four and eight week bill auctions were supposed to be held yesterday, but this glitch caused them to be delayed until closing out today. Again, I don't think that had any impact, especially when you see the numbers. So the four-week bill auction that was announced today, released today, conducted today, the high yield was just 422, 4.22%. So already 33 basis points underneath the RRP. So take it away again, Mr. St. Louis Fed guy. T-bills are more widely held and are useful as collateral and financial transactions in ways that reserves are not. That's what low bill yields tell us. They tell us that we're foregoing investment return, some amount of investment return, because these bills have utility in these secured financing transactions. And if they have utility in secured financing transactions, the value of that utility tells us about how, how much is being used or how much is being demanded in those types of use cases. So if there's a much greater premium being paid for treasury bills over and above say other investment opportunities like the reverse repo program what that tells you is that demand for the best collateral for the use in repo and derivatives must be extreme so when you see the high yield at the auction at 422 that tells you yes collateral even today is extreme and it's not just today these bills aren't going to be issued for another week or so so participants in the market are buying ahead of time for bills that still haven't even been written. The median today, 4.05%. That's 50 basis points below the RRP. So half of the auction was less than 405. So even more than, than, uh, even more than 50 basis below, 50 basis point below RRP. And here's the thing, the low yield, at least the, unless this is a typo, and I don't think it is, the low yield today was zero. And that means at least 5% of all bidders were willing to give the government exactly the same amount of money the government would give them back four weeks from when the bill is issued. Why would you accept zero return unless you value the utility of that treasury bill in some collateralized arrangement far more than even, even any, not even no positive return whatsoever. But that, that already would have, was uh, eye-opening. That, that already proposes something going wrong here. But it was also the eight-week bill. The eight-week bill, the high yield there was 445. 
And remember, we're supposed to have another rate hike here in the next week or so. 445, which is already 10 basis points below the current RRP for an eight-week bill. The median was 438, so again, way low. But the low yield accepted at the eight-week auction glitchy, glitched and delayed a day, don't think that made a difference, was 0%. Both of them, the low yields were 0%. You're going to give the government exactly the same amount of money as the government's going to give you back eight weeks from now, foregoing every other opportunity just to secure this instrument. That tells you the degree of collateral scarcity, the demand for the best quality collateral that is simply through the roof and continues to be a week after everything that's happened. So this is systemic issues. And I think the Chinese know it because the Chinese said, we're going to cut the RRR unexpectedly, which has nothing to do with US dollar collateral, except for the Chinese realize that when dollar system, when dollar functioning, euro dollar functioning becomes impaired, that has a monetary as well as economic impact on China. It also doesn't give you a whole lot of confidence in China reopening. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you for joining me. As always, huge thank you to Eurodollar University members, all our Eurodollar University subscribers, daily deep dive analysis, as well as a daily briefing. That's Markets Insider Pro. And until next time, please do take care.